All right, welcome back to the Celtics Club Podcast. I'm your host for today, Cameron Tokabai. Justin has the day off. It's just Alex. Alex, how are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. You know, I, we've got a lot of crap going on with Omicron that's kind of messing up my holiday plans. But aside from that, I suppose I'm doing fine. I'm here in my apartment with my cat. We're just hanging out, not doing much. Been watching a lot of movies lately. Did you watch Don't Look Up? I didn't watch Don't Look Up, uh, in part because you said not to watch Don't Look Up, among other things. Yeah, I thought it was pretty stupid. I don't know. I've, I've heard some mixed reviews on that. Maybe we can do a special off-season episode on movies that we liked and didn't like for this past year. Some people, I, I'd not say it's really good. You say it's really bad. I don't really know. I've mostly been watching old movies. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the, the Celtics Lab Oscar preview podcast should be a real hoot. Yeah. Uh, Anyways, we have sort of other disaster to talk about because the Celtics are a dumpster fire. Oh, they're since bad. We, since we talked last, well, they, okay, so since we talked last, they looked great against Cleveland. They looked, I didn't watch much of the Bucks game, but they looked okay until they didn't against the Bucks on Christmas Day. And then most recently they lost 108 to 103 uh, against Minnesota, a very depleted Minnesota team headlined by uh, Craig Monroe of all people, which as Justin points out in our notes was the 541st player to uh, becomes 541st player in a season. Most effort. Okay. Maybe I don't understand the notes. So <laughs> Greg Monroe is the 541st player to play in an NBA game this season, which is the okay, most. Thank ever. you. That's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that number is going to go way higher. Oh Yeah. And right. uh, just a quick note on Greg Monroe. Of course, he came back and dominated the Celtics front court. Um, he had like 11 points and 10 rebounds uh, and hit multiple big shots down the down the stretch. And this is notable in part because this is the first NBA game that Greg Monroe has played in three years. So he came back out and immediately laid waste to the Celtics healthy starting front court, which is really not great. We can jump the gun here, but I think I've always been a little more skeptical of Robert Williams than maybe you and Justin. And this isn't like, that's it. This is the nail in Robert Williams coffin, but isn't he's, isn't the skinny on Robert Williams that he's hyper athletic and amazing and he should not be being defeated by Greg Monroe? Well, it's weird because if there's one flaw in Rob's game, I think it's actually that he kind of struggles with a traditional post-up big man. And there's not a lot of those left in the league, but the ones that are left in the league, Rob has kind of had a harder time. In particular, ones that have moves that can get him up in the air and biting on fakes. And Greg Monroe's game is entirely built around that. So Rob is a perfect big in a lot of ways, for the nature of what NBA bigs mostly are now, which is rim rollers and shot blockers. But mm-hmm. if you get like a, a traditional old school post-up big man, Rob's going to struggle with that. Fair, fair. So what do you think of, I mean, the Cleveland game was good. We can talk about something positive. The Bucks game was an utter disaster down the stretch. And yeah. it looks like the Minnesota game was just wire to wire disaster. Uh, we're, Where do you want to hone in on? I think the big thing for me is that over these past three games, we've seen that if the Celtics are not hitting from three, things get really ugly really fast for this team. uh, And they don't have enough good shooters to really build their entire plan around hitting threes. Like in the Cleveland game, the Celtics were rolling in part because 
everybody was hitting from deep. And in the first half of the Bucks game, same deal. Romeo Langford hitting corner threes, Jason Tatum hitting threes off the dribble, Jalen Brown hitting everything. But when the Celtics three stop falling, when the outside shot stops falling, his team does not have the right personnel in place to really punish uh, opposing defenses in any other way. Obviously, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are pretty good finishers at the rim. But outside of that, the half-court offense is so dependent on hunting for threes and even taking threes at the expense of other better looks that um, when the three is not falling, it's a really big problem for this offense. And uh, there has not yet, to my knowledge, been a scheme or lineup change that we've seen that has really addressed what has kind of been the core issue for the Celtics offense all season. If they don't hit threes, they're they're going to struggle. And especially down the stretch, we talked about this last podcast, but Tatum is good in the fourth. He's like sixth in fourth quarter scoring, and it's, it's pretty efficient, those numbers. But the rest of the team really lays an egg in the fourth, and especially in the absence of Tatum, who's in COVID protocols, which we'll talk about in just a moment. It's pretty ugly. After the Minnesota loss, Jalen Brown really took the blame. Al Horford said, you know, it's a little bit of everyone. What do you make of a the team without Jason B the team with Jalen at the helm and C kind of just broader accountability. I think the broader thing for the Celtics is that it doesn't, if one of the J's either Jalen or Jason is out, then it suddenly becomes a Titanic effort for this team to win a basketball game. Uh, right. The team is entirely built around them and what they're able to bring to the table offensively and deservedly. So, I mean, they're two of the best, I would say 25 players in the league. And that's pretty undebatable in my mind, but the supporting cast around this team is built for both of the Jays. It's not built for one of the Jays. And when one of them is off the court, it becomes a really challenging uh, problem for the Celtics to deal with. I think Al Horford is right that everybody kind of needs to take a look in the mirror uh, and playing the blame game is not particularly helpful for solving whatever the Celtics issues are. Uh, the fact is it's everybody. I mean, so much has been said about the Celtics fourth quarter offense largely devolving into a series of like iso ball Jason or iso ball Jalen. And if you mm -hmm. watch the games, that's true. That's largely what happens. But here's the thing, folks. Iso ball in the fourth quarter when you have two very high level scores is not inherently a bad thing. It's a bad thing when the defense knows that that's what's coming and there's no other action that happens outside of that isolation ball. Like if you look right. at like the Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant, James Harden in a close game, it's going to be those two guys over and over and over again. And we know that. And everybody knows that. But in addition to both James Harden and Kevin Durant being two of the best scorers that the NBA has ever seen, which obviously helps, if you look at the Nets, the other guys are still doing stuff in the ISO ball mm -hmm. offense. Like Bruce Brown is crashing the boards trying to get rebounds. Or, you know, uh, Joe Harris is running around screens and spotting out for threes. Like the other dudes are moving around trying to get open or trying to at least pull the defense away so that it's not just 
everybody locking in on the one superstar. Or if they do that, then those stars are good enough to pass out of a double team to players who are actually cutting to the basket and punishing. The problem with the Celtics fourth quarter offense is not necessarily that it's isolation ball. It's stagnant isolation ball. It's isolation ball where everybody just clears out and then Tatum or Brown has to go to a one-on-one dribble move. If the rest of the guys are actually moving around, setting picks, doing stuff off ball, that will clear up. But it is on them and it's on the Jays as well to maybe kind of trust their teammates a little bit more to do stuff like that and to recognize when that is happening, to pass out of that double team or to get into their actions earlier. So it, it really is on everybody. And it's I don't think it's a good idea to pin all of the Celtics fourth quarter offensive struggles on one player or on the coach, because, you know, I think Ime Adoka has his flaws as a head coach. He's a rookie. Uh, and some of the lineup changes that he's made, particularly lately, have been really questionable. Romeo Langford should not have been in the fourth quarter of that Minnesota game. There, he was just not hitting. He shouldn't have been there. They should have gone with anybody else. Uh, and I don't want to sound like I'm a just total Udoka apologist, but at the same time, it's way too... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's too simple. It's a far too like small scale analysis to simply say it's all one person's fault. It's everybody. They're just not gelling as a unit. And so what it really comes down to is that Brad Stevens is going to be making some moves. I, I think that's a virtual certainty at the trade deadline. I don't know what moves they're capable of making. And it seems to me that they have no interest in breaking up Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. But outside of that, I don't think anybody on this roster is safe heading into the trade deadline. No, you, I mean, I'm largely in agreement. A, a couple of things that stand out first, I agree with the Odoga bet insofar as, and I, I feel like we're beating a dead horse. It's, and uh, actually Celtics blog ran a piece uh, uh, similar to what I'm about to lay out that I recommend. There's just too many players with not enough defined roles. And yes, it's the regular season and that's for kind of like figuring things out and gassing up young guys and then trying different things. So that's fun and productive perhaps, but I don't know, at a certain point, I mean, we talked about how hard this stretch was going to be. And so we were expecting it was going to look like the sky was falling, but some of these losses are just brutal, the Minnesota one in particular. And so that doesn't bury the team. I mean, that's not an indictment on the entire team for the rest of the season, but it is, you know, it's, oh, a good effort against the Bucs. You came up short. You showed your warts is one thing, but you really laid an egg against a team when you did need a win is another thing. So the rotations and kind of the positional fit, COVID notwithstanding, because everyone in the league is dealing with that, is kind of disappointing. Mm-hmm. I think your point about the fourth quarter offense is really salient because it's it's one thing to, to run one-on-one when you have really talented players, but the Celtics don't really hunt mismatches. They don't really create mismatches. They don't really utilize movement to confuse the defense before setting up a one-on-one it's really just your turn my turn with exception but for someone with Udoka's chops where you know he worked with the Spurs he worked with the Nets he worked with uh, a humming Philly offense once upon a time you would think that there would be a call to action to kind of make the offense a little messier down the stretch in a good way yeah and you know, maybe Tatum ideal, idolizes Kobe and that's all he knows, but I'm shocked at, and I want to get to this when we talk, we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions. Some of 
what we see out of Jalen in that vein is really distressing to me. So I do think that we've talked about this privately and on air January and February have easier schedules. The Celtics, unless this is it, and this is really truly a crappy team, the Celtics will string a few wins together. There will be a trade that will tighten some screws. And then there will be, I don't know, the end of January, early February, all of these headlines about like, Oh, the Celtics have figured it out or here come the Celtics. And we can see it coming a mile away, hopefully. So it doesn't feel like it's worth losing our cool yet. I mean, it is still December, but some of these trends, not only all season long, but going back several seasons suggest either the head of the snake doesn't know what's going on in the Jays, or this is some sort of weird systemic problem that we can't figure out. Well, and I think the there's a third path, which is, just simply that, you know, the Jays are good players, but they're not ready yet. Like you do have to keep in mind again, and I know I keep saying it, but these guys are 25 and 24. Like right. they're get, they're a good two to three years away from their peaks as players. And I think that uh, the reality is that, you know, speaking for myself and for other people on this podcast, I think we all came into this year looking at the additions that Brad Stevens made and the transactions that happened in the offseason and thinking that the Celtics ceiling was reasonably high uh, if everything worked out. That probably was an unrealistic <laughs> expectation, given what we now see. I think we if, if we adjust our expectations for where this team is at, if we you know kind of consider that the two best players on the team are 25 and 24 respectively. And most NBA players tend to peak around their 27, 28, 29 right. seasons. The thinking about that, this team is at, as currently constructed, probably a playing team at best. That, that It makes some sense. It's not particularly pretty or fun. And I think myself and many other Celtics fans I know were thinking that this team could be potentially at the near top of the Eastern Conference, like making kind of a, a run to challenge some of the higher level teams. I, I think we all would have loved to believe that. But the reality is that as currently constructed, the Celtics will be looking at play in or probably worse. Right. And some of that, and we, we can move on. Some of that it comes down to luck when you talk about a young team, yeah. like the Hawks last year, played way above expectations, but that might've been a little bit of luck, a little bit of lightning in a bottle, because if you look at them now, they play like a young team. Yeah. And the Cavs this year are playing way better than anyone expected. Maybe they're this year's Hawks. I don't know that this is a sustainable model for this team. They do have Ricky Rubio and we've talked about needing. Well, a they, point they, they, they had Ricky Rubio. Yeah. Ricky Rubio. Uh, anyways, uh, a few other points of order. And then today we're going to talk about New Year's resolutions because it's December 29th and why not? I- I'm going to take these backwards because I think they're connected thoughts. First, Peyton Pritchard and Ernest Neesmith were elected the team reps for the NBA PA for the Celtics. And I think that that's important when we talk about the COVID policies that have been agreed on, not just by the league and the owners, but by the NBA PA because we bemoan last week I in particular said yes it's silver but also like look the players are in on this and I don't want to take anything away from Pritchard and Neesmith but you have a 23 year old and a 20 year old repping your team (laughs) talking about public health policy like that's just not a super wonderful model to achieve I just I feel like you could strong arm a, a player you know what I mean like it's different than a Horford or Smart showing up it's just 
These are younger guys. So anyways, actually, as we're talking, the NBA had a quarantine plan that was a little more aggressive than the CDC and the NFL. And while we were talking, uh, Sean's tweeted, the NBA is adopting CDC guidance of five-day isolation exits for coronavirus positive individuals. So it looks like they are following everyone else, which is, uh, as best I can tell, then we're not scientists or doctors, not what many scientists and doctors are recommending. It's much more the business community making these recommendations. So anyways, let me put a bow on this and have you react. The Celtics, like many other teams, have 20-year-olds represent them at the NBA PA meetings. And the NBA PA, the league, and the owners have now come to terms on a new COVID quarantine protocol, which is more aligned with the CDC's recommendations, very different than it was last time we talked, and perhaps a little anti-science. Your thoughts? I mean, I think it just goes to show that uh, the CDC, when it comes down to it, is exactly what you said. It's interested in protecting the business community. It's not interested in protecting people. Uh, And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that if you look at the CDC's board of operations, like the fact that, you know, the Delta CEO is like a prominent heavyweight in terms (laughs) of CDC policy. I mean, it just really speaks of the validity of what they're doing as an organization. There are many organizations like World Health Organization, for example, that are doing really good stuff with coronavirus, but it's becoming increasingly clear that the CDC, in my mind, is not a viable source of information when it comes to good public health policy right. until proven otherwise. Um, and so to see that you know the NBA and all of these other institutions like the NFL are adopting CDC guidelines makes perfect sense because the CDC is largely at this point running cover for the uh, industrial world, which is not particularly great. Um, it's definitely not uh, in line with what I think a number of doctors are saying with regard to coronavirus. And, you know, I do, I do want to be clear, there is some reasonable evidence to suggest that the Omicron variant is less lethal, particularly mm-hmm. if you are back vaccinated and boosted. Like, that is true. There is reasonable evidence to suggest that. But... Uh, it's spreading faster, it's spreading more rapidly, and we still don't know the long-term effects as to whether there is a long COVID problem with Omicron in the same way that right. there was with Delta. Long COVID, uh, I, I know a few people who have gotten long COVID. It is really, really bad. Uh, it seems like it can be a potentially debilitating long-term health condition uh, that could really pose major problems to just kind of doing the activities of everyday life. Uh, nobody's taking that into consideration. And so to kind of wrap the conversation around back into the NBA to see, so I want to be clear, young players getting thrown onto the NBPA rep uh, tradition is not, that's not related to coronavirus. That is something that happens all the time. No, that's not new. Yeah. Yeah. No, like it's, it's almost like a kind of a, a gentle form of rookie hazing. Lol, you have sure. to go do NBPA, NBPA responsibilities. And that's, I don't know. But um, to, to kind of do so now when you could argue that visible leadership is probably more important than it's ever been for organizations like this definitely seems like a questionable choice. 
that being said, I, I don't want to make too much about it because it's a tradition that has existed long before coronavirus affected the NBA. It just feels like a systemic flaw. I mean, so much of this does. It, the counterfactual is look at LeBron. I mean, if you had the elder states people of the NBA representing the PA a little more closely, I don't know that we would get different outcomes because yeah. some of the uh, older NBA players have pretty horrible takes when it comes to COVID. I will say, I read this yesterday, that the CDC revised its Omicron data. Last week, they said 73% of cases in the U.S. were Omicron. Now they're saying it was 22%. And so a lot of this is still Delta stuff, which is the same horrible beast. So even if Omicron is more mild, there's a good chance that if uh, you listening or someone you know caught COVID recently, it's still Delta. And we I hope the people listening at this point know how scary and hard that is. It's so I'll, I'll just read the, the tweet in full that NBA uh, players after five days can return to team six days can return to team activities after isolating meeting testing requirements and registering two negative tests. So it's not so willy nilly, but like we said before, I don't, I haven't heard of health professionals really endorsing these policies. It's been a lot of leadership roles uh, and voices that are saying this is awesome. And then doctors and other people in op-eds or on the radio or whatever saying, hey, it's actually a little more complicated than that. So we said this last week, like the NBA is not (laughs) the public health agency for the United States. And so that that there is cover for them to do this makes sense. I mean, it's more don't hate the player, hit the game, even though this is a basketball podcast. So we should be more focused on what the decisions in the basketball orbit are being made. And we, I think I've said this before, the CDC still doesn't have a comms director. So it's also like, yes, they're carrying water for corporate America, but they also don't have a system to communicate the choices that they're making particularly well. So it's really confusing bullshit. And it does make trying to make sense of, oh, how important is this Celtics loss to the Timberwolves that much more complicated? Because I don't know what it means to lose to Greg Monroe in December when half your team has COVID, which at the time of this recording, Tatum, I mean, Horford, not to speculate, this is not fair, but Horford must have had a pretty bad bout of COVID if he's still out. Uh, Tatum is out, which we know he had a bad bout with COVID last year. Hmm. Schroeder's out a few others are out it's just ugly anyways <laughs> let's let's hop into the Celtics lab that's when we uh take our deep dives on the topic du jour and today's topic is new year's resolutions so what we did is randomly broke the team into three groups and each person on this podcast was assigned a few players to give individual resolutions to so because Justin's not here, we'll just read from his. And then we also have team-specific ones. So I, I like your team-specific one. Let's start with the team-specific one. Sure. Alex, what is your team-specific New Year's resolution for the Boston Celtics? My team-specific re- resolution for the Boston Celtics is as follows. I actually have two. I couldn't choose between these two, but I think they both would be uh, greatly beneficial for the Celtics. The first one is play the kids. Um, if the Celtics are not trending towards being a serious playoff team as it seems like is currently the case 
then I don't think there's any real downside to giving Aaron Neesmith, Peyton Pritchard, and Romeo Langford some significant run. I think we already have seen with Peyton Pritchard that uh, burying him in the rotation was a mistake. He is pretty clearly a very needed shooter for this team. Um, his defensive limitations are what they are. We all know them. But Peyton Pritchard uh, can hit an outside shot. He can reliably do that. And so he should be on the floor. Aaron Neesmith is going through a pretty major shooting slump. If he's going to get out of that shooting slump, guess what? He needs to shoot more and he needs to play more. Um, and I know, obviously, roster being what it is, COVID complications being what the, what it is, it's easier said than done. But at the same time, you know, Jabari Parker, Juancho Hernan Gomez, these are not guys that are going to be part of the Celtics' long-term plans. I would rather, if we're if we're going to be playing players who are not fully formed and not particularly helpful, if we're going to be giving them those minutes anyways, then we should play the young guys. And similarly, uh, related to kind of lineup changes, uh, there there is one more resolution that I would like the Celtics to adopt, uh, even if it's you know only for a little bit of time. Let's what what are we doing here? Isaiah Thomas should be in Boston. He should be a Boston Celtic. Like it's time. I don't want to watch Isaiah Thomas chuck up, you know, 18 points for the Lakers and they still lose. He can do that in green and he will mm -hmm. actually be loved. And I think uh it would be a really nice kind of shot in the arm for this team. I would like it to be more than a 10 day. It would feel weird to sign Isaiah to a 10 day and then not re-up his contract. But I actually think that this team could use him. I mean, if we're talking about the Celtics having problems with, you know, shot creation down the stretch of a fourth quarter game, obviously Isaiah's defense makes it really hard to play him like in crunch time. But at the same time, you know, at least Isaiah is going to actually run around uh, and try and get open for spot up threes rather than simply stand in the corner and wait. Or Isaiah will initiate an action a little bit quicker to get the offense moving. I just I feel like there's no downside to me to with especially with the Celtics being as ravaged by COVID as they are to giving IT a shot. What's the worst that can happen? Well, I can dig that. My team specific New Year's resolution for the Celtics is an obvious one. It's figure out the fourth quarter. They start games slow. They're not good in the first quarter. That could have also been a resolution. They play great in the second and third statistically and anecdotally, but then the fourth, it's just a disaster. The offense stinks. The defense really stinks and it's fully unsustainable. I mean, there's just no way that they're going to win multiple play in games, let alone a playoff series if they lose the fourth three times out of four, nine times out of 10. So whether it's tighten the rotation, whether it's a kick in the butt for the Jays, whether it's a completely different approach, I don't know, play zone or something, but you got to figure out the fourth because these fourth quarter collapses are hideous and disgusting. And also if you aren't a major player in the fourth, you're not making any comebacks either. So my resolution for the Celtics is something's got to give in the fourth. Justin has a pretty spicy resolution. It's get DeJounte Murray or as close to a table setter as you can find now, which the Dennis Schroeder experience, uh, not super awesome. A lot of touches, a lot of shots, not a whole lot of assists or structure for the offense in the way that I think the Celtics need or maybe expected. And it also seems to mess up Marcus Smart a lot. So Maybe we'll ask Justin about this next week, but I agree. If not, 
Murray some other ball dominant point guard yeah. that isn't Dennis Schroeder. Although I don't think Murray is gettable anymore. No, we I, we I, used to daydream about this, but there's no way. No, I don't think so. I don't think the Spurs have any plans of giving him up. I do think that there are some guys that would be gettable. I'm keeping my eye on De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento for uh, one. Mm-hmm. But um, DeJounte Murray, while I would love to have DeJounte Murray on my team, I don't see a package the Celtics can give up that would entice San Antonio enough to give him. No. Now, this is, that's not the point of the pod, but really quickly, uh, I think playing the young guys is also imperative because if the Celtics fancy themselves suitors for a star player, they're, it's not just going to be the picks because in theory, they're going to have bad first round picks. So it's going to have to also be a package center around talent. Mm-hmm. And if Neesmith and Pritchards are total, total unknowns then the Celtics don't have a package. So they need to showcase these players because Josh Richardson and a few first-round picks aren't going to get you Carl Anthony Towns or De'Aaron Fox or something. Nope, certainly not. All right, so we, again, we each had three groups of players, I think randomly assigned, a little bit of starting lineup, a little bit of bench, a little bit of back end of the bench, and we each came up with a resolution for those players accordingly. Why don't we go one by one so I don't just talk for 10 minutes, you talk for 10 minutes, and then we read what Justin wrote. So. I have the first, I'll have first bite of the apple and then you can pick whatever player you want and then we'll read off Justin's. But because I've already kind of teased it enough, I'm going to talk about my resolutions for Jalen. First, I think he's going to stay healthy and conditioned. I think, I don't know anything about his experience with COVID. To your point about long COVID, maybe he's a little foggy in the brain. I I don't mean that uh, facetiously. That's totally a real thing. Ask Jason how playing through long COVID or Evan Fournier felt last year so i want to give jalen the, the right to say hey actually like my lungs and my brain don't work the way they used to give me some time that said there are moments where when you see him play he he looks lost or immature and i know that jalen is really talented at the boneheaded lapses on defense followed by this a similar boneheaded compensatory uh compensatory 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 play on offense is no bueno right now he has 2.9 turnovers per game which is the most of any Celtics player and pretty high up there among active NBA players and if you're James Harden okay I guess you take the good with the bad but Jalen doesn't produce quite enough to justify that many turnovers he also has the lowest assist turnover ranking of any rotation player for the Celtics it's about what Jabari Parker's assist to turnover ratio is so he's not sharing the ball effectively and he not only turns the ball over at high amounts but it it doesn't feel like yeah but you know look at him go look at that engine look how often he's making magic happen it does feel like a few too many turnovers from your second best guy not your first best guy or your most high energy guy so Jalen you know get back into shape, get your head right. But for goodness sake, take care of the ball. That's my resolution. Yeah, I think that's totally legit. And, you know, that is the, if there's one kind of huge drop off from the Celtics losing Gordon Hayward last year, 
Um, it's that Jalen has been given a great deal more responsibility when it comes to handling the ball. And I want to give some credit to him because his handle has gotten much better, but you're totally mm-hmm. right. The passing and turnovers needs to get better as well. That's the thing that Hayward really kind of brought to this team is he just, he didn't turn the ball over and he was a really good passer and the Celtics need to either develop that guy in Jalen or find another version of that guy. Um, Speaking of possible developing guys, I have a resolution that I can drop. Um, So Romeo Langford has kind of had an interesting up and down season, uh, flashing a lot of potential on some nights and uh, looking unplayable on other nights. And so my New Year's resolution for you, Romeo Langford, is I would love for you to work on impacting the game offensively, even if your shot is not falling. I think Romeo is a really athletic player, and I really like particularly when he makes hard cuts to the rim. Um, I feel like there's not a lot of players that can really get in his way when he has a head of steam uh, and is able to kind of take things off the bounce. So uh, the big thing for Romeo is that there are some nights where his shot isn't falling and he becomes just a gigantic net negative on offense. He's just like bricking away corner threes and that really kills the spacing for this team. So I think Romeo Lankford has some tools that could make him a really interesting rotation player for this team, particularly his defense is really advanced for a player of his age. Um, I do think that he needs to work on getting involved even when the shot is not falling. If that means backdoor cuts, if that means setting picks for other guys, that means, you know, just moving around without the ball to draw defenders away. I, I like just, just get involved, man. I don't want to see you just standing in the corner the whole time. You can do more than that. Oh, I can take that. All right. Justin by far got the best group. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, he, he made the, he did the work, so he gets to do that. But so I'll read from his for Dennis. Stop rolling out the ball. Use your speed, and I, I'll editorialize a little bit, which is, I mean, maybe Dennis just doesn't have it the same way that he did in OKC or even stretches it in LA. But he's not the German Rondo that we knew and loved back in the day. I mean, he's. Occasionally he probes and cuts in really interesting ways, but then rarely finishes at the rim uh, a la the Dennis Schroeder of old. So yeah, rolling the ball out. I don't really, I don't have a problem with that when it's, when it works, but I just, I don't see him being that point guard that we remember him being even a few years ago. And maybe his salary (laughs) uh, tells us something about why that might be the case. I mean, I think the thing is that the Celtics, it's its not even so much that like Dennis individually rolling the ball out is a problem for Dennis. It's that the Celtics half court offense is crappy and like <laughs> rolling the ball out and like there is an advantage to rolling the ball out and like letting your team use the full clock. If you have a good half court offense that can execute at a high level, but the Celtics don't have a good half court offense. So their best chance to get buckets is going to be in transition. It's going to be getting up and down the floor and using their speed to create. And, you know, Dennis is completely taking that away from his own game through rolling this ball up. So to to kind of JQ's point, Dennis, you are best at, in the NBA, just sprinting from end to end and beating dudes in a foot race and then getting contact or getting layups. Use the best tool in your arsenal, you know? And I think that will positively impact the entire team. Because if the Celtics can get out and run, they're actually able to execute at a reasonably high level. The problem is that their half-court offense has been bad all year. 
Yeah, I mean, certainly Dennis should tighten his his game up a little bit because if he's going to be the starting point guard for the Orlando Magic in a month, he's got to figure something out. Uh, Anyways, Cole, that's disrespect to Cole Anthony. <laughs> fair. The, the next person I had was Bruno, Bruno Fernandez. I said easy with the fouls because, uh, you know, he's a little bit of a liability on that front, but the game's just too fast for him. And I don't know if that's conditioning. I don't know if that's too young. I don't know if he should play in the NBA. I, don't, I just don't know enough about him. So if he can, he should resolve to slow down a little bit, let the game come to him, but easier said than done. All right, next up on my New Year's resolutions is Aaron Neesmith, a player who has also been the subject of much discussion for the Celtics this year. And for Aaron, my New Year's resolution is this for you. Um, Absorb everything you can from Marcus Smart and Josh Richardson, your two defensive-minded vets. And and Joe Johnson a little bit. And Joe Johnson, too. I I think Aaron Neesmith uh, can learn a lot from the vets on this team towards becoming the player that I would hope that he can become, basically a Danny Green-style 3ND player. Um, Keep shooting. I know the shot's not falling, but you got to just get in the gym and keep getting those reps and make it so that you can be a guy that can get hot quickly rather than a guy that needs, you know, multiple weeks to come out of a cold shooting slump. Um, But the big thing for Neesmith is he's not going to get run on this team until he can show that he is capable of defending on the perimeter. Uh, Right now, he's too often caught flat-footed. Dudes will just blow right by him or uh, drive into him and get contact. Um, And he needs to kind of show Udoka that uh, he can be trusted to stay in front of dudes on the perimeter. So the big thing for me, for Aaron Neesmith, obviously keep shooting and, and don't keep don't worry about all the misses. Don't let that pile up. Um, but more than anything, work on your defensive positioning and foot speed, particularly on the perimeter and make your opponents feel you. Cause Aaron Neesmith is long and pretty athletic and it's, it's surprising to me that he's as bad of a defender as he is. Okay. So I was, while you were saying that, I was thinking he's probably going to add a little bit of muscle to his frame he's listed at, let me write this down so I don't lose track of it. He's listed at 6'5", 215, which I, I, that feels believable to me. Yeah. Jalen's listed at 6'6", 220, which then conceivably, he, they basically have the same build. Uh, Jalen's just a, a tad bigger. So to your point, Neesmith's body probably could be an elite defender's body. Tatum is listed at 6'8", which I don't buy. And 205, I saw between 205 and 210, but nothing more than 210. That feels impossible. That feels impossible, right? That seems weird. Yeah. I mean, that definitely is taller than that. And his shoulders are, I'm shocked he can get through like a standard issue door. His shoulders are so big. Well, so I think that actually just kind of goes to my point though, which is that you, even if like they're, like, it's not like Aaron Neesmith needs to get huge to be a good player. He just needs to work on his positioning and conditioning and foot speed. Like Jalen Brown and Aaron Neesmith have almost exactly the same body types, but you feel Jalen Brown so much more in an NBA game because Jalen Brown is worked on becoming a physically imposing player and using his strength to really get in dudes' faces. And obviously, you know, we've talked about kind of the issues that Jalen is struggling with, but Jalen is still 
when he's locked in a really great perimeter defender and he can really do some pretty impressive stuff and he can take contact he can drive to the rim and you know use his athleticism to really make uh his opponents feel him Aaron Neesmith, I mean, aside from the occasional lunatic crash rebound that he'll do, um, you know, he you don't feel him physically in the game, if that makes any sense. And I don't think that it involves like him just like bulking up and becoming like this hulking monstrosity. I think he can do that. But I think it's more about just like the intelligence, the foot speed, and the positioning. That's the stuff that he can learn from guys like Marcus and Richardson. And I think that will go a long way. Sure. And I'm shocked we spent this much time on Neesmith's size, but for uh, string bean, I don't know. Tatum's, he's got the same body as Brown. I don't believe any of the stats on Tatum. All right. Justin had smart. He said, your passing has not grown with your game through no fault of your own. Hone that skill. I get the no fault of your own insofar as you're nominally the starting point guard, but you're, you don't get the touches or the responsibilities of the starting point guard, but it's a little through fault of smart, smart zone. I'm not buying that entirely, but I do like the idea of continuing to be a better passer. I, I, I agree that. And I'm, the thing that I actually want to kind of push back on is I don't think Marcus is a particularly bad passer. Like he's actually, I think, developed no. pretty well in that area. The only issue I really have had with Marcus's offensive game has been his shooting, which has fallen off a cliff again. Uh, and that's just kind of how it goes with Marcus Smart sometimes. But, you know, I, I agree. I think it's something that he can definitely work on. And I think I would like to see uh, him be a little bit more empowered to kind of take on that role. But Marcus, Marcus is developing okay as a passer. Um, I think the growth has not been explosive. He hasn't turned into like Drew Holiday overnight. Um, but mm-hmm. he's kind of been steadily ticking up in that over the course of his career. The difference now is that he has a lot more responsibility um, and the growth has not quite matched that level of responsibility. So keep working on it. I agree. I think he can hone that skill further, but I, I want to give Marcus a little bit of slack there. Sure. I mean, in reality, his per 36 assist numbers are pretty stable since going back to 2016-17 his turnovers are down so he's gotten a little more careful with the ball but not radically it's really just the three-point shooting that has fallen off a cliff I mean he is shooting 28.5 percent from three this season down from 33 percent last year and uh as high as 36 percent a few seasons ago so yeah the Marcus Smart we love Marcus Smart (laughs) and interesting Love him and trust him. Yeah. Okay. I have Ennis Cantor Freedom. I just wrote keep rebounding question mark when he plays basketball. And I don't think about who he is or what he's been up to. He's a rebound machine. That's nice. His offense and defense are preposterous. I don't think that's going to change. Maybe he'll stop going on Fox news. That would be nice. I, I mean, I would, I have a lot of resolutions for Cantor freedom, but we are, yeah. we did a whole podcast on that. So uh, keep rebounding, buddy. Good job out of you. If I have a, if I have an actual basketball play uh, resolution for 
Pettis just really quickly. I do think that I've seen flashes of this weird two-man game with him and Jason Tatum that has kind of worked. Um, he's the one thing I will say about Freedom, uh, aside from you know being unwatchable on defense, is that he is a really good screen setter. So I would yeah. encourage him to do more kind of pick and roll combos with Jason Tatum when he's on the floor. Um, the Tice seal has kind of been missing from this offense the classic like Tatum handles the ball and then Daniel Tice seals his man down low. Uh, and I think freedom can kind of replicate that. So I would like to see a little bit more of that. Um, that being said, I, I also don't like watching him at all. Um, anyway, moving on to another uh, guy who struggles on the defensive end, Jabari Parker. My New Year's resolution for you, Jabari Parker, is to work on your towel-waving skills because, frankly, um, as, mu as much as Jabari Parker seems like a nice guy, I just don't like when he's playing on the court for this team. I, I get that he can hit a mid-range shot. I get that he can hit a three every now and then. But if the other team sees Jabari Parker on the court, everybody on that team, their eyes just light up. They know that they have a guy that they can victimize every single time on defense. And in particular, the, the problem with Jabari for me is that as it stands right now, Jabari Parker usually plays at the four and the five. That's not going to work. Jabari Parker at the yeah. five is an absolute disaster. He cannot stay with any centers and is not a good enough shooter to justify being out there as a small ball, like space the floor five in the way that some other guys are. So for me, I, I just don't, I've, I'm not getting a lot out of the Jabari Parker experience. I get that the Celtics are missing dudes left and right. Uh, I get that they need just like bodies who can play, but for Jabari, I, I just don't see a lot of avenues to him being a meaningful contributor on this team right now. Or maybe any team. I mean, it seems like he has limitations. Yeah. So Justin had Tatum. His resolution for Tatum was seek out contact at the rim. This should be your first attack. Tatum is up to six free throw attempts a game, which is not nothing. And is, that's higher than 5.3 last year and 4.7 two seasons ago. So that is ticking up. Uh, yeah, I don't dislike that at all. His three-point attempts are up. His two-point attempts are stable. So he's, I mean, just handling the ball more. I mean, I think everyone wants him to a get to the free throw line more and b stop complaining about calls when he doesn't get to the free throw line. But maybe those are related thoughts. Yeah, I think the big thing for Tatum is when does he get those free throws? Because I do want to acknowledge his progress. He has been getting better at getting to the rack, but um, particularly in late clock situations in the fourth quarter, um, he abandons that part of his game and settles for jumpers. Big time. So I would like Tatum to actually think about like, all right, it's not just... I need to get to the line six times a game. It's when do I get to the line? Because those free throws can give life to a team in the fourth quarter when your shot is not falling. And the Celtics are terrible at getting free throws in the fourth quarter. So that's the big one for me, a modification for Jason's goal, which I largely agree with. Sure. All right. Uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, my solution for you is just to keep your bags packed. You know, don't, don't buy rent because... You're probably not long, but the Celtics, through no fault of your own. I mean, I, I'm sure you know that too. So I'm, I get excited when he checks in, but not, but it doesn't really result in good basketball usually. 
uh, but lots of Celtics, you could say that about. So I don't mean to signal Wancho out. A lot of Celtics players' resolution should be to rent, not buy, and to keep your bags packed. I think that's reasonable. I will say about Wancho, you know, I, I recognize that Giannis completely obliterated his soul on Christmas Day. That was a really devastating moment. But it, to to be fair to Wancho, um, he is not the first person who Giannis will do that to, and he is certainly not the last. So, uh, you know, Wancho, if you're listening, I respect the attempt to go up and do something about that dunk, even if you had no chance of succeeding. It's very much in the image of Aaron Baines, one of my favorite NBA players. So kudos to you for at least doing something. Um, My next New Year's resolution is to a guy that we've kind of talked about a little bit, but I think the resolution still applies. Peyton Pritchard, get ready, buddy. You're about to be a high usage dude on this team and you should be ready to play like upwards of 25 minutes a game, I think. Um, one thing I noticed in the Timberwolves game is that Pritchard actually played close to 40 minutes after getting the start and he was visibly gassed by the end of the game. And I get that he hasn't played, uh, anywhere close to that number of minutes, basically all year, but he has, I think, earned Ime's trust a little bit to be a part of this rotation going forward. Peyton, given where we are headed for the trade deadline, you should be ready to see a pretty significant uptick in minutes and you should be working on your conditioning to get you to a place where you can play those minutes because I I like Peyton Pritchard. I think he's in a good spot as far as his development goes, but uh, they're about to hit the throttle and see what they've got there. I hope so. I mean, he's a little undersized, but there's lots of catch and shoot two guards, uh, three and D kind of two guards that, have long NBA careers and I don't know why he couldn't be that but anyways uh Justin and Grant stay focused on being vocal don't be afraid to hold yourself others accountable I like that that's not what I would have picked but I do really love Grant as a leader for this team and for the league I I can dig that. I don't have much more to say that. I, that. To, to kind of drive that home, you can see how much the Celtics missed Grant Williams in these past few games. He's quietly become a really important piece for this team. And right. he's, he's a guy that I actually don't think I would like the Celtics to trade. I don't think that he has a huge no. amount of trade value around the league anyway. So I'm not super worried about that, but Grant has become a pretty important member of this team. And I think that using his voice and becoming a leader would be a really positive development for him. I think he's already on track to do that, but uh, kind of doing so more aggressively would be really good. Yeah, cool. Shout out to Grant. I mean, remember we all wanted to trade him and now he's like one of the only reliable players on the team. All right. So my last New Year's resolution for a Celtics player is Al Horford. My resolution is obviously stay healthy, not just short-term, but long-term. Really, you showing up for seven games against the Sixers or even the Bucks would be much more important than playing back-to-backs in February, so do what you got to do. I would love to see Al be a, more of a conduit for Udoka on the court because mm-hmm. it, it, from press conferences and stories from practice and stuff, it does sound like the, the players don't always get the memo from what Udoka is preaching. And maybe Udoka is really good at covering his ass a little bit with using the media, but I would love for there to be a little bit more accountability on defense 
definitely in the fourth quarter, as we discussed, and consistency in running a dynamic offense. I mean, what's the point of all this depth and position positional switchability if it's not going to actually show up? So I would also say this to Smart, but certainly Horford has earned the right to be a on-the-court player coach kind of dude. So Horford, if you can continue to or improve on being uh, an intermediary between the coaching staff and the younger players. Yep, that sounds good to me. All right, uh, my last guy for New Year's resolutions is Josh Richardson. And my New Year's resolution for Josh Richardson is pretty simple. If you are not vaccinated, Josh Richardson, you should get vaccinated because this team really needs you out on the court. Uh, the Knicks game, I think what the, the Celtics mm-hmm. basically won that game exclusively through Josh Richardson com- uh, contributions. They need you out there, man. Get vaccinated. We're tired of having to wait for this. I don't know if you are or not, but the evidence that we've seen suggests previously that you are not. Um, if you are not, please get vaccinated. That's my Josh Richardson resolution. A good resolution for everyone, I think. Yep. <laughs> And finally, Justin had Time Lord, and his resolution for the Time Lord was work on your handle and especially passing. Cool. I can dig that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think Robert's a pretty good passer. He is a good passer, but I think there's something to the idea of getting him even more involved as a passer. I think you he he is really good at that, but utilizing that as a kind of foundational skill for this offense, I think would be a really cool development. And like doing it, it could even be like Rob is really good at like tap passing and like passing out of the post or things like that. Work on your dribble handoff game, man. Work on like yeah. kind of incorporating even more passing wrinkles. I think Rob should, in a weird way, watch some Jokic footage and see kind of the stuff that he's doing. Because I think there's a chance that he could become a really high impact offensive player in ways that don't necessarily involve scoring. And to that end, the handle, I mean, there were some possessions in that Cavs game where Rob was running the break and pulled off some pretty impressive dribble moves for a guy his size. If he can become a semi-reliable big ball handler, holy crap, that would do so much for this team. So we also have a section on two-way guys or 10-day guys, and I'm just going to breeze through them. Justin's was Sam Hauser. Vince, he made it play you more. There's something there. I like that. That's cute. My resolution was actually about Isaiah Thomas to his resolution to sign with the Celtics. I think he's aware of that, that goal. And you have a fun one. Do you want to cap things off? You know, I mean, this guy is out here playing for Real Madrid. um, And, you know, the NBA is just pulling dudes in left and right from everywhere. My thing is, if this is what we're doing, if this is the plan for replacing NBA players uh, on 10 day contracts until they're healthy, fuck it. Call up Gershon Yabasele. Why not? He's fun, you know. He had a kind of nifty little Olympic run until he got hurt. Uh, he's been playing pretty well in, uh, you know, European leagues. And he's a Spanish Super Cup, Super Cup champion, uh, Pro A champion. You know, he's he's doing all right. So big butt champion. It's, he he will always be that kind of a champion. So Brad, call up Gershon. See what see what he's up to. Yeah, bonjour. All right, well. Hopefully we have solved all of the Celtics problems for at least the next year. And then uh, this time next year, we can keep improving. I mean, that's a good job out of us. So 
probably the last podcast until 2022. You got a New Year's resolution? I have a New Year's resolution. <sighs> I guess my New Year's resolution would be to... Uh, that's tough. I, I think my New Year's resolution would be to be more comfortable, like being alone by myself. Um, I feel like there's a real possibility that we're going to be entering a for the next yeah. few months a, a period of relative social isolation, which is deeply unfortunate. Uh, and so, working on like practicing good habits while I'm just like chilling by myself would be my New Year New Year's resolution. Cool. I can take that. Mine was going to be, don't say, um, as much on the podcast, because then mm. Justin has to <laughs> edit around that. But I also intend to read more and do a little more yoga, you know, about yep. to be on the wrong side of 30. So why not? Anyways, thanks for listening. If you're, for some reason, you're still listening to me and Alex <laughs> bemoan our, our small teacher lives. Uh, go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast. Check out Divine Sweater on Spotify. Check out Celtics Wire on the internet. And then... We will see you all next year. Thanks for listening. Peace.